Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. Revelation. Revelation chapter 12 is where we will spend our time together this morning as we continue our series entitled Unveiled, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And that we have been working our way through the book of Revelation and that we find ourselves now in chapter 12, a new movement for us as we continue this interlude, as the Lord continues to reveal to us uh, his will and plan uh, for future things. And as we have been working our way through the book of Revelation, I have submitted to you uh, this understanding that I believe that God, he allows us to know what's going to happen in the future. Uh, so that way it can change the way we live in the present. You see, when we know how things will come together, how things will be orchestrated and how God is in control and the work that he desires to do, uh, it should change the way in which we think about our current circumstances, our current situation, and the way in which we look at life trusting him to be faithful. You see, over these last several weeks, we have pressed in and we have seen some very special things uh, in this book. We've had an opportunity to see the Lord Jesus Christ glorified and exalted in ways in which we, you don't see in his uh, earthly ministry. Uh, we've had an opportunity to see some very clear uh, indications of the way in which he's going to use the church, the church age. In chapter two and three, we see that. We see how the church will be involved in the mission and plan and will of God. We've had an opportunity to see the throne room of heaven and all the praise and the glory and the elders and the creatures and all those things that are happening in that beautiful place that we call heaven. We've had an opportunity to see how God will execute judgment. And in our series, we've seen the sealed judgments and we've seen the trumpet judgments, how they unfold and the destruction and the hardship that comes upon this earth. But even in the midst of all those things, we have seen how God is faithful to forgive, to have grace and mercy and goodness, even in the midst of his judgment. We've seen the focus of the word of God, the, the role that it should play. We've seen the, the, the witnesses of God, how they would show and be God's representatives, and we were challenged to be the same. We've had an opportunity to see the coming kingdom, the future hope and promise that Jesus Christ will, in the appropriate time and way, wrap all things up in human history. And today, today, as we look, we will look at a great battle. As a matter of fact, we will see that there's going to be great conflict in heaven and on earth. 
And as we go through this particular passage, we, we will recognize the fact that this battle has been raging for a long time. You know, I, I like to ask the question anytime I get into a passage like this, you know, how many of you uh, grew up uh, in, in, in a area or neighborhood where you had to fight on a regular basis? Anybody grow up in that type of situation? Okay, fantastic. We got a few fighters in the house. They keep the Vaseline in your purse ready to go. I see those hands. Well, we're going to see this, this idea of battle and a fight is one that rings true even uh, today. And we're going to see that there has, has been a battle that has been going on even before we ever knew it, even before we were ever present, before we were ever created. And the results of that battle, of that war, of that, of that rebellion that happened in heaven has spilled now down into earth. And it has impacted each and every area of our lives. Everything that we know has been impacted by this battle. And we will see the results of that. We're going to see how God is still in control even in the midst of the battle and the way in which we should look to him, how we should trust in him as we seek to continue to see this victory that he's already won for us. You see, as we look to this passage today, there are three movements that we're going to see. The first is verses one through six, where we see that the Lord, he keeps his promises. And if you're in a fight, if you're in a battle, it's important to know that the one who is fighting for you has promised some things to you and he cannot lie. And he's going to be able to hold and, and come through on what he has said. The second thing that we're going to see is that the Lord, he is in control. It's very important to know that whenever you're in a fight, when you're in a battle, the one who says that he is on your side, that he is actually in control. That's a very comforting thing to know that it doesn't matter what it looks like, doesn't matter what it sounds like, that he is in control. And the last thing we're going to see is that in the midst of this battle, sometimes it can rage the struggles that we go through. And specifically, we're going to see these specific in our text. They can last a while. And so it's important to know that he is also the one who provides even in the midst of the struggle. That when we talk about our Lord, when we come to worship our Lord, what we must understand is, is that we are talking to a God who keeps his promises, who is in absolute control and who takes care of his children. Now, when we when we think about this, I don't know if y'all are real fired up or not just yet. I hope you get there. Because we got a lot of ground to cover, a lot of symbols to see. But in this is a great encouragement to us, even today, as I don't expect us as a church to be here in, in the midst of this. This should be a great encouragement to us today, even how we should live and trust the Lord. You see, when I think about humanity, you know, war and battles and arguments and fighting seem real natural. You know, just by show of hands, how many of you had to be taught to argue with your sibling? Anybody had to be taught to do that? It just came naturally, huh? You know, I think about this. My, I have an older sister. I love her very much. Last night, she was trying to start mess uh, last night, late last night. She was trying to, even at this age we are, she was trying to talk noise to me. And it made me think about the reason why she, she tries to talk noise to me is because she's deathly afraid of any type of bug or insect. And uh, whenever we were children, uh, I would take worms and chase her around the house. And my dad said he could always tell when I was chasing around the house with bugs because he could hear our footsteps. My sister's taller than me. You can't tell her that she's taller than me. She got all the height. That's what happened to it. And, uh, and so she would be running. He could hear her footsteps. And then a little bit later, he could hear me running behind her. And so when I, when I think about the dynamics, nobody had to teach me to, to do that. It just came natural. It just came natural to me. You know, when we think about our families and the dynamics and even nation to nation, it seems natural for humanity to be at odds or to be at war with one another. 
And we're going to see the reason why. We're going to see the reason why today. And ultimately see what the Lord has done about it in his grace, goodness, and power. I hope we've had an opportunity to find Revelation 12. We're going to go ahead and get started. Because like I said, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Our first section, verses 1 through 6. Let me begin. Revelation 12, 1 says this. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child and she cried out being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,200 years. 60 days. The first thing we're going to see in this conflict is that the Lord, he keeps his promises during the battle. You see what John does for us here is he brings us now into this realization. If you remember, we are in the time of the tribulation, great tribulation period. We, we learned about that from Daniel. We've seen it already in other places in our text. And so I'm submitting to you that there are two movements in this seven-year period, three and a half and three and a half, three and a half plus three and a half gives us seven. And we see that now we are moving into this very difficult time on the back end. And so in that time, we are brought into a realization of what's going to happen. And there's some very strong language here to highlight what God's intending to do in this time. You see, John gives us here two signs of seven. As we begin to move through the book, there are going to be seven signs, great signs, mega in the Greek, seven great signs that are going to be given. These signs are designed to point us to a deeper reality. You remember that? You remember when we went through John's book or when we see signs, period, even as you drive, when you see a sign, the sign is to point you to a deeper reality. The sign itself is not necessarily reality. It is pointing you to a deeper reality. As if you are driving and you see the sign that tells you how many miles you have till you get to the promised land, Jonesboro, Arkansas. The, the sign itself is not Jonesboro, Arkansas. It's just pointing you to a deeper reality that you are on your way there, that you are get, getting there, that there's a real place called Jonesboro and you are headed in that direction. And so we see that John, he's using this strong symbolic language to point us to a deeper reality. And so we have to find out what is he trying to communicate? God, what are you trying to tell us? This first sign, the first one is a great sign. That's what the text tells us in verse one. And it appeared in heaven. And we see a woman clothed with the sun. Sister was dressed nice. And the moon under her feet. And she had a crown on her head of 12 stars. 
Now, the question that y'all are asking is the same question I'm sure that I asked when I read this. Who is this? And when you look throughout history, there are a lot of ways in which people try to answer this question. Who is this? Some say we know that's Mary. That's got to be Mary because we know we read on down ahead and it says she gave birth to a boy child. And that boy child was going to be the one who ruled all the nations with a rod of iron. Y'all remember that's got to be Mary. Nope, not Mary. Some people throughout history said it's got to be the church. Nope, not the church. The church didn't give birth to Jesus. Jesus gave birth to the church. Some look at it and they say, well, this is just a covenant community of believers during the tribulation. Nope, it's not that either. We can be more precise. See, I find to answer this question, we have to go to the very first book to learn something about the very first book that's going to teach us about the last book. So if you are taking notes, just jot down Genesis chapter 37, verses 9 through 11, and we're going to look at this together. The first time we hear about this idea of sun and stars and all these other things happens in Genesis 37, 9 through 11, whenever Joseph, y'all remember Brother Joseph? Everybody remember Brother Joseph? Met Brother Joseph? Had a coat of many colors, GQ looking nice, Pops had him looking right. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This Joseph, he was a dreamer. And in one of his dreams, we, we, we see this, this language here. And so we'll see it. Let's just look at it together. It says, now he, talking about Joseph, had still another dream and related to his brothers and said, lo, I've had still another dream. And behold, y'all ready for it? The sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and his brothers and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother, I being his daddy, being Jacob, his dad, being the, being the son, mama being the moon, brothers being 11 stars. Notice this. I and your mother and your brother actually come bow ourselves down before you to the ground. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept uh, saying in his mind, meaning that when we see this, I'm going to submit to you that this individual, this woman is a picture, is a symbol pointing us to Israel. We know that that's the lineage, that's the line. We know that Jacob, that, that's another name, Israel, the movements, the tribes, the, the difference we see from, from that text in terms of the stars to this text, did you notice it? It's 12 now, not 11. So now Joseph is being counted in these stars. So I'm submitting to you that the symbol that, that we, are, we need to see that is pushing us, is pushing us to see, I believe that this is Israel, the, the redeemed community called out by God, special people that he has plucked out for his own purposes and use, that community. So that's the who, that's going to be important here in just a minute. But did y'all see, as the text moves, uh, verse 2, we have a, a, a Christmas story. I, I know y'all thought Christmas was over. Nope, not over just yet. In verse 2, it says this, and she was with child. Y'all catch that? She was pregnant. And she cried out being in labor and in, in pain uh, to give birth. Now, th this promise here is a very important one because we, we know that Israel, Jesus, when he came in, he came as a Jew. And we know that he came in as a Jew. He, he is, notice, when Jesus had a conversation with the Samaritan woman in John 4, he said something very profound. He said, salvation is of the Jews. And so it's very important that we catch this and then we understand this, that God has had a plan for the Jews. He has a plan for the Jews and he will always have a plan for the Jews. But we get in on it now as Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. We're going to see that here in just a minute. 
But this idea of becoming the child in labor pains, this is a promise that he said he would do way back in Genesis. So when we talk about this promise that God does, we see it way back in Genesis. Genesis 3.15, if you're taking notes. If you're taking notes, we're going to see this. Because you might think it's crazy that this dragon, this dragon wants to kill the child. But can I just tell you, here's the reason why the dragon wants to kill the child. Genesis 3.15, the first place that you're going to see the gospel message is right here. It says, and I will put enmity between you. He's talking to the serpent, between you and the woman. And between your seed, talking about the, the, the seed of the serpent, and between, her, and between her seed. You ready for it? He... He, y'all catch that? What kind of child we got here? Male. He shall what? Bruise you on the head. Give you that fatal blow. And you shall what? Bruise him on the heel. So, I mean, there's going to be this interaction between the, the enemy, the serpent, the, the, the woman, and the seed of the woman. Now, that should be throwing up red flags to you because women don't carry the seed. Who carries the seed? Men do. So, when we know this, this is a special movement that God was going to work and do something special here. And we know that this is Christ. We see that this child, we point to the Christ child. Now, all this is important because we see this dragon. Did y'all catch it? The dragon is wanting to kill the child. And the dragon has always wanted to kill the child. But before we get to the child, let's just talk about how the dragon wants to do women. You, you notice the, the, the interaction in Genesis 3, whenever the serpent was dealing with Eve, he, he, he lied to her and ultimately destruction and sin came because Adam and Eve, they both sinned and they failed. And so when we see this promise, we got to go way back to know that there's a problem with humanity. And God established this promise that there was going to be the seed of the woman that was going to come. And it's going to do great damage to the evil empire that Satan was trying to establish. And he says he's going to put in between the seed and, and the two seeds, the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the woman. Now, can I just tell you? When you read your Bible, you're going to find that, that there's a lot of hostilities whenever you look at this world. Have y'all noticed that, sisters, y'all tend to experience a lot of hostility, that women tend to go through a whole lot of difficulty and trauma and trials, no matter what continent, no matter what culture, women tend to go through it. Can, can I just, sisters, y'all agreeing with me in here? I don't know if y'all agreeing or not. Everybody looking like, we don't know where you're going with this. We don't know if we want to agree just yet. I'm on your side. Can I just tell you, I'm on your side. But when you, when you look at this, we see that this, there's hostility, no matter what culture, no matter what place you see this. Because the enemy knows, he knows that God's redemptive plan, that, that women were going to be a part of the redemptive plan of God. Specifically, that, that he was going to take Mary and the son of God was going to come into this world. He already knew this. And so the enemy, he didn't know who it was going to be. And so thus, he continued to have a press down and to oppress and to hurt women to be able to stop that from happening. He has always desired to keep this child from coming. And so if you can get the mama, guess what you can get? The child too, before it ever happens. So you see the pressure. You see the pressure. But can I tell you, they didn't stop God from using sisters. Can I just tell you, God has used sisters in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and he'll use you today. Can I just give a little list? Y'all looking like, listen to me, preacher. Let me just list you a couple. What about Sister Esther? Y'all remember Sister Esther? Bachelor before bachelor was good. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? Sister Esther was in the competition with all these other sisters. She was a bad sister. King Saul said, yeah, that's my girl right there. But it was more than a beauty contest because God had a redemptive plan to be able to save his people. And he used Esther to get it done, used the woman to get it done, to take care of the whole nation. 
to get it done. And any other women that the Lord used? Well, there's a whole nother one named after a woman in the Old Testament. Y'all know who I'm talking about? Sister Ruth. Sister Ruth's bad sister too. Y'all remember? As a matter of fact, God loved her. He used her greatly. Jesus' lineage comes through Ruth. It's a beautiful story. Get you some of that. If you want a love story that's sanctified and holy, get you that. Anybody else? Let's just use a, a, bad, a bad sister that was a good sister. How about Rahab? She's in the Lord's lineage as well. Use women all the time. New Testament, the Lord used anybody? Yeah, you just pick it up. You're going to see this big ball of shot caller sister named Lydia. She was a seller of purple, had that long money. You know what I'm trying to tell you? God used her in the New Testament to be able to help the church be established, to be able to get things done. So we see even though the enemy, just by way of application, he wants to, to crush and he wants to harm, he wants to hurt, he, he wants to try to take and to oppress you, sister. But can I tell you, God has another plan in mind, and he will use your life. Not just Old Testament, not just New Testament, but right now, he will use your life. But can I just tell you, when I look at this, I want you to look at me in verses 3 and 4, because we're going to see that this child that had been promised, he had laid it out, the child actually came. But it came in some hostility, some circumstances that were difficult. Verse 3, then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads, ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third, a third of the stars of heaven, and threw them to the earth. And the dragon, what did it do? He stood before the woman who was about to give birth. Why? So that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Now, when we look at this, can I just tell you, our adversary, the devil, he has not changed his mind. He has not changed his mind about trying to devour. What we see all through the, the, the Old Testament where he was trying to kill the child. Now, y'all might say, well, how, how do we know that this, that how, how do we know? Well, the Bible is clear about this idea of the coup that happened in heaven. Jesus told us, let's just look at it real quick. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15 says this, talking about this event here, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You've been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will rise my throne above the stars of God. Notice this verse, and, and I will sit, I will sit on the mountain of assembly in the recess of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's a problem. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recess of the pit. How this, this dragon, this, this is the adversary. Jesus is talking about this same event in Luke 10, 18. I've shared this before, but just by way of reminder, Luke 10, 18 uh, says it this way. Jesus speaking, and he said to them, I was watching Satan, what? Fall from heaven like Lightning. So understand this battle, this, this heavenly battle. I'm just trying to set the, the, the case for us now. This heavenly battle has been raging for a long time. It's been happening for a long time. And this one, this, this very adversary, he's the one that's trying to do away with the child. He's trying to kill the Messiah. He's trying to do harm to Israel. He's trying to work. And it's amazing to me that this lie that he said, I'm going to be like God. What's crazy is when you make your decision that you want to be God or be like God, that you look at what happened to Satan, he became the furthest thing from God. It's amazing. Now, when we see this, we, we see that 
in our text that this dragon is described to him as great. It tells he's red. He's dragon talking about his fury, his murderous intent. We see the description of him with these horns. It has to do with authority and power, the nations, the diadems, the crowns. We're going to see as we go on through the book, there's actually a picture of the, the kingdoms that he will be in control of. But we see great authority and great power and, and great murderous intentions are on his mind. But now as we look, though, we see that he wanted to devour the child in verse four. And can I just tell you that this desire has been throughout history. Let, let me just give you some examples where the enemy tried to destroy people, destroy children, tried to destroy the, the Messiah, tried to destroy the line. Let me just give you a couple of folks. Number one, y'all remember Cain and Abel? What happened? Y'all looking like, what happened? Cain killed Abel, right? Early on, promises made that there's going to be this one who comes. So we, we got two brothers in the house. One kills the other. So early on, you see a threat. Y'all remember Brother Pharaoh? Anybody remember Brother Pharaoh? Joseph, the brother that I talked about earlier, was rolling big time in Egypt, okay? Then there arose a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph, and then he decided, look, th these Israelite brothers, they're getting a little too numerous up in here. They, they might decide to overthrow us one day if a nation try to come they might partner up with them they want to overthrow us and so they said you know what we're going to do whenever a baby is born whenever a baby is born if it's a boy kill him right there if it's a girl let it keep living he was trying to snuff out the line he's trying to kill the line not, not just that though let, let me just give you a couple other examples y'all remember in the in the old testament brother Saul tried to kill David y'all remember that he tried to snuff out the royal line and so it's not just gentiles but Gentiles also, y'all remember Brother Haman? Haman, we talked about Sister Esther. You remember what he wanted to do? He wanted to kill all the Jews as well. He was trying to snuff out the line. But just more recently to us, y'all remember Brother Herod. You remember after Jesus was born. You know, the, the magic, they went to go tell him, hey, who, where is the one that's born king of the Jews? And, you know, that's the problem when you're the king and somebody coming to tell you they're looking for the king. That's the problem. And so they said, you know what? Let us, let us. He said, let me know when you find him so I can worship too. But he wasn't intending to worship Jesus. He was trying to kill Jesus. And so you know what he does? He kills all the boys. When he found out around the time when the star popped up, he killed all the boys two years and under, trying to snuff out the line. Can I just tell you, the enemy has tried and tried and tried and will continue to try and try and try to snuff out the line. Because he knows that whenever this child is born, this child is special because his birth means a declaration of war. I don't know if y'all know that. Just, just 1 John 3, 8. 1 John 3, 8. I know it's technically on the Friday. We're going to bring it all together, though. You, you want to know why Jesus came? Here you go for, for a great encouragement memory verse right here. It says this, the one who practices sin is of the, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Y'all ready for it? The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to do what? Destroy the works of the devil. So here's the thing. You, you want to know why all this hostility toward Israel? Why all this hostility toward this child? Because the purpose of the child was to come and to destroy the works of the devil. That's the reason why. And, and I love when you, when you read the text. It, it, look with me in verse 5 when it talks about this child. Verse 5, it says this, and she gave birth to a son, a male child. You ready for it? Who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God. 
and his throne. Then the woman fled in the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, as we, as we look to this, we understand that God had a plan. Even in the midst of all this attack, even in the midst of all this hostility, God has a plan. And when he promises that he's going to come, take on flesh, dwell among us, live a sinless life, go to the cross, be buried in the tomb, come on the third day, be seen by many, many people, ascend into heaven, sit on the right hand of the throne of God, stay up there, calling shots, putting enemy on his feet. He's going to come back, rule and reign visibly. Guess what's going to happen? That is exactly what will happen. Because when he promises, he keeps his promise. Now, let, let me just say this for a quick second. That when we look at this fulfillment, it, it, it's amazing to me the construction here in verse 5. In verse 5, it talks about this child, and it says that he's going to rule. He's gonna, he already had a plan. Did y'all notice that? Like this baby, this child was not just going to be neutral. Can I just tell you, I just find that whenever God, when he creates something, when he puts something together, it has a purpose. When he, whenever he does something, it, it has a purpose. Now, sometimes I've wondered sometimes about mosquitoes, what, they, what their purpose is other than the torment. Uh, that makes sense what I'm trying? I wonder, but I'm just saying they have a purpose now. But, you know, when I think about children, that whenever they come in, that God, listen, they have a purpose. They, they have a purpose. You have a purpose already given to you whether you know it or not. You're, you're a child. Right now you think their purpose is to drive me crazy and they do it well. But let me just, I want to encourage somebody this morning that when you think about this work, that the enemy, he still wants to devour children. And he still wants to devour families. As a matter of fact, he wants to keep families from forming. That, that's his desire. The family was God's idea. So his desire is to keep it from happening. So can I, that's why you see this great assault on marriage. That's why you see this great assault on children. That's why you see this great assault on men and women. That's why you see it, because he knows it is God's plan. Okay? So let's just not get it twisted here. When we think about God's plan, how he views things, like this is a child. There's no mistake here. So I just wanted to just read a, a passage of scripture. Let us just be encouraged. Then we'll move on to our second point, maybe. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 18. Because I, I don't know everybody's circumstance up in here. I don't know if you know your dad or your mom. I, I don't know your circumstance up in here. I don't know what all went on for you to be in here on this planet. I, I don't know if you were told I love you enough when you're a child. I don't know how, how your parents treat you. I, I don't know. But can I tell you, I know somebody that does know. And that's something that I believe that he has put in his word that he wants you to know. All right? This is what he has to say about you. For you, form me, form my inward parts. This is David. He's landed out here now. He said, you, you formed my inward parts. What did you do? You wove me. You, you wove me in my mother's womb. That's talking about tapestry now. I will give thanks to you. Y'all ready for it? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. Verse 15, my frame was not formed. My frame was not hidden from you. When it was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. He's just talking about how you don't see the depths of the earth, just like you don't see what's going on down in the womb. But it still doesn't change the fact that it's special just because you can't see it don't mean it's not special. He says this, verse 16, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written 
And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. How precious. He going to get excited here now. Get the worshiping now. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, guess what? I'm still with you. So when we think about this movement, I just throw this in as just a little encouragement here because I don't know what everybody going through, what you're going through. You might think God forgot about you, but can I tell you, he knew you before you knew you. He knew you. He had a plan. He had laid it out. Everything he made, just like you see this child, this child had a purpose to rule, have a rod of iron. He knew the birth. He knew the purpose and he knew the destiny. He has already set it in your life. You'll be willing to uphold it now. But can I tell you the reverse is true. The enemy also has a destiny set for your life and his is to steal, kill and destroy. Y'all with me this morning? We see this woman gets taken into the wilderness. And this language should remind us of Exodus, that God, listen, the wilderness is a place of provision and protection. And that's exactly what he does. It says provision and protection for, for 1,260 days. Can I just put that down in some simple math? 3.5 years. Now, in this, we, we, we need to make the, the shift now to see that God is in control, though. We need to see how he's in control. And in verses 7 through 12, we're going to see what I mean when I say he's in control. Look, look what happens now. We're brought into another movement. Verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Who was fighting? Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough. They were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a voice in heaven saying, tell us something from heaven. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heaven. And you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. You see, we have to make a decision here. Is this movement, is this past, present or future? Now, you can look at this. There are many persuasive cases, many things that could be said when you look at the time frame. But I'm going to submit to you that this moment, this time, what I just read, verses 7 through 12, are, are a future movement. What we looked up at in the first part was a past event. We're looking at a future time in which heaven will be closed up. And the Bible says that there was a war in heaven. There's going to be a war in heaven. Michael 
and his angels. Y'all remember, Brother Michael, if you ain't read, get you some Daniel, Daniel 12, 1, what you're going to find out is, is that, that Michael is the one that takes care of Israel. He fights for the nation. And can I tell you, it's a bad man right there now. Michael, a bad brother. And it says he fights. But did you catch what it says about the dragon? It says Michael and his angels, they wage war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels, they wage war. Verse 8, somebody tell me now. And they were not strong enough. Now, many times when we talk about the enemy, it's not that he doesn't have power. But can I just tell you, when we think about him, we need to understand he is a defeated foe and he's not strong enough. That the God that we serve is more powerful than him. And even the angels that serve our God are more powerful than him. The angels that do his bidding, that do our Lord's bidding, that take care of his children, the angels that watch over us, the angels that protect us, the angels that are with us right now, right here, are stronger. Many times we don't live like that, though. You know, we're afraid of the boogeyman many times. Don't turn the light out, okay? I'm not saying that's not a real threat, but what I'm telling you is the threat has been neutralized and that God is in control. That doesn't mean that we won't face hardships or difficulties. That doesn't mean that there will not be times where he rears his head up, where, the, where his helpers begin to meddle and, and, and be a part of our life. But can I tell you, just remember that he is not strong enough. I didn't say it. The Bible says it. He's not strong enough. Be encouraged. We are facing a defeated foe. Now, these descriptors are very important. It says dragon. That has to do with the terror and the fury. Did you catch it in the description? It tells us in verse 9, he's a serpent of old called the devil. The, the serpent, that takes our mind back to Genesis 3 to say this is the same rascal then, is the same rascal now. He's the same one. But then he tells us some other information about him. says devil. Devil means accuser. So when we talk about it, it's not just his name, it's what he does. He accuses us. But then did you catch the other name? The other descriptor says Satan. Satan is not just the name, it's what he is. It means enemy. It means one who is adverse or an adversary. So when we read these things, we, we may make sure we come to the proper conclusion about who we are facing and who we are fighting each and every day. You see, when you look at history many times, just do a study about how many peoples go back in history and they have some sort of serpent or dragon in their history. I can remember whenever I was in, 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 uh, in India, and you, you go to the temples, you look on the temples, let me just take me snakes all over the place. They, they're, they're carved out. They're made out. They're, they're, they got a sleeping God. I remember went to a spot, sleeping God, his bed made of all snakes. And I remember looking at that, I said, uh-uh, you don't want food with that right there. Something done. The enemy trying to get you. I remember going to New Mexico. New Mexico, went to a museum. There's an indigenous people that have a museum there. And as soon as I rolled, I'm like, man, that show looked kind of like a snake right there. And the guy that was with us, he was telling us all about this snake. And yes, this great snake, he helped us out as humanity. He helped us out. Human beings were in this dark abyss, and he paved the way and carved a way for us to come out of darkness. And I'm like, no, then he lied to you. Somebody lied. They, he lied to you. That ain't what happened. And if you go back, you will see many times the, the dynamics of this deception. And you see it says he deceives what? The whole world. Not just one or two people, not just some folks in this country or on this continent. The whole world has been influenced by his deception. But can I tell you, Jesus was not. Can I just tell you what Jesus had to say? John 8, 44. I know we, we are sophisticated in our day. We, we don't believe in this old time religion stuff about demons and devils and stuff. We don't believe that, right? 
Guess what Jesus did? And let me, this is what he said in John 8, 44. He says this, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desire and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus believed, Jesus believed that he was real. Now, what's this idea, this battle? Did you, did you catch it? Because when you look this many times, we think about one battle in heaven where now Satan gets thrown out of heaven. But what we fail to realize is that he still has access right now to heaven. He still has access. If you read Job chapter 1, verse 6, let me just read it to you. Job 1, 6 says this. Now there was a day when the sons of God, I believe that's talking about angels there. They came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. So that's this, this idea that, 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 that the enemy, he still, for some reason, he still has access there. But there's going to come a time in history where he no longer has access. Access denied. Change the locks on the thing. He can't get in here no more. Okay? That, that's going to happen. He's going to be cast out permanently. Now, did you catch what heaven had to say? Now, when we look at this movement, we look at this movement that God is in control. I just want you to see what heaven has to say in verse 10. It's very important that whenever somebody's speaking from heaven, that we pay attention. Because many times it's given us some great encouragement about how we should live. That's what heaven says. Verse 10. The salvation, the power, kingdom, and authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God, how often? Day and night. So can I just tell you what's happening in heaven? You're trying to live saved. You're trying to act like you love the Lord. And you got the adversary up there like, ooh, you see what she just thought. You see what she did. You heard what he said. You saw what they did all the time. The adversary, he is accusing you and me. All the time he is accusing you and me. But can I just tell you, we have been delivered. We have been delivered a fourfold movement. Can, did you see it? Salvation that comes to us in freedom for what Christ has done. Says he has the power. That means he has control. He has established the kingdom by which he is effectively working and moving. And he has authority. which means he has jurisdiction. He can come in and be able to take over. That's what we know. And so when we see this, we have to remember that the victory we have is in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. If I was a singing preacher, I'd bust out in song right now. But 1 John 1, 5 through 10, how do we understand this? How do we get the victory? Knowing that we have an adversary all the time that's telling God about the things that you and I do that we shouldn't do, telling God about the things that we should have did that we didn't do. How do we live in this life knowing that we have this type of adversary that knows our business? He knows our business better. We know our business. How do we live? 1 John 5, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says this. This is the message. We have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, what does it do? Cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, I mean, let's agree with God about it. So whenever the enemy makes an accusation about you that's true, you know what you should do? Yeah, I did it. 
I did it. If we confess our sins, the reason why you should is because he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You see, the way in which this is supposed to happen is that we are so honest with God. We come before God. We are so honest with God that whenever the enemy makes an accusation about us, we have already beat him to it. We have already let him know. Yep, I messed up, God. We're not trying to hide and trying to trying to play games with sin, but we get serious about it. We go ahead and be honest about it. Now, can I just say, say I, when I think about this, many times, though, people struggle with, the, with knowing the difference between condemnation and the Holy Spirit conviction. How do I know the difference between whenever it's the enemy condemning me or when it's the spirit convicting me about my lifestyle? I'm so glad y'all asked this morning. Y'all just full of questions this morning. How do I know? Well, whenever it's condemnation, let me just give you this, and then we're going to make a mad dash to close. Whenever it's condemnation, like we know the enemy does, it says very clearly that he accuses us how often? Day and night. Verse 10, day and night he accuses us. How do you know it's condemnation? Number one, because it's from the enemy. Number two, it pushes us away from God. So what the way you feel, if you find yourself moving away from God and not to God, the comments tell you that's not of God. Condemnation, the enemy, when it's him. It's, you're going to know it's from him because ultimately it's going gonna, it's gonna to make you feel ashamed to be able to come to God. Whenever God brings something to your attention, it's not to push you from him, it's to bring you to him. So that's how you know. When you start finding yourself, you, you stop attending the Bible study, you stop going to church, you stop talking to the friends you know that are saved. Whenever, you start, whenever that starts to happen, let me just tell you, you, you are feeling the condemnation and that is the enemy seeking to work because whenever God is convicting and moving, it's not designed to push you away from him, it's designed to bring you to him. We're going to get here in just a minute. But, but another way in which you know is that it'll be self-centered. The, 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 the way you feel, you'll be looking at yourself. You'll we'll be so consumed with self. And I'm not, say, I'm not telling you not to have a sober self-assessment, but you cannot only look there. When it's condemnation, you will only be looking there and you have a measuring rod that normally is crooked and you're trying to look at everybody else and every other thing and try to stack yourself up, up against that. That's of the enemy. Don't, don't fall for that. But not only that, you will feel hopeless. Like there's nothing you can do about the problem that you face or the sin that you struggle with or the mess that you find yourself. Can I tell you the difference between that and conviction? Conviction, number one, is from the, it's from the Holy Spirit. And when it's from the Holy Spirit, it's designed to draw you closer to God. You know, it's like that when you had a parent that loved you and you messed up, like you spilled something and you didn't say nothing. And they ask you, uh, who spilled this? Who made this mess? The, the goal was not so you could lie and, and, and move. The goal was that you could be up and honest and say, I did it, I missed it. So then they could say, oh, okay, I might still have to whoop you, but I'm going to go ahead and help you get it cleaned up to draw you closer. When it's the Spirit's conviction, number one, you, when you look, you won't just look at yourself, and, it, and the measuring rod won't be a crooked one. You'll be looking to God, the perfect standard, and you will see your need for him, and so thus you will be able to make a sober self-assessment, and you'll be able to find the right place to be able to get the help that you need. So it's not about him pointing out the wrong, but he's also going to tell you what the right is. That's how you know it's of him. 
But then you're also going to see the progress that the spirit, whenever he convicts you, he's going to give you the power to be able to make the progress through the work, through the sin that you're struggling with. You're going to see the progress that moves you. And you won't be hopeless. As a matter of fact, you'll find grace and hope. Y'all don't look like y'all believe me just yet. So let me just read this to you. And then we're going to look at our last section to close. First John chapter two, verse one and two. Says, my little children. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Did y'all catch that? Why did he write? So he wouldn't sin. Like when God gives rules in the Bible and there are many of them, he means what he says and he says what he means. That's like at your house. Whenever you tell somebody not to do something, do you mean that? Yeah, you mean that. You mean what you say? I, I, I write, the, I'm, I'm making these rules so you won't do X, right? Or you won't do Y, okay? But catch this, and if anyone sins, but I know you're going to mess up. What does he say? We have an advocate with the Father. Boy, y'all ain't happy up in here like I thought y'all would be this morning. We have an advocate with the Father. This is important. Whenever you have an adversary that's talking to the Father about you, it's important that you know you have an advocate that's also talking. Who is the advocate? Jesus Christ, the righteous. Verse 2, and he himself is a propitiation. That's the covering, the payment, the satisfaction for our sins. And not for ours only, but what kind of God are we talking about? But also for those of the whole world. The text told us that the, that the serpent had deceived who? The whole world. So what does God do? He, he sets himself up to be the one who can be the advocate and the covering and the forgiveness and the payment and the sustainer for the entire world. This is an important thing now. When you have the adversary telling all your business, it's important that you know you have a defense lawyer that's saying, uh-uh, but guess what, guess what, guess what? It's true she did that. It's true he did that, but guess what? It's covered by the blood. The blood did it because that's how we overcome. We, we overcome by the blood and by our testimony. The blood and the testimony is how we, how we overcome. You know, when I think about these two things, the blood and the testimony, and then we'll look at our last movement. The blood, the power, that's the work that God does. The testimony, the testimony is the applying of the power. See, whenever somebody has a testimony, what they're telling you is that here's just the power, but I can tell you more than just the power. This is how the power was applied. We overcome by the blood. That's where the power is. But the testimony is individual. And we all had the same one. Can I say we all are saved the same way, even though we might come out of different circumstances. So the testimony is the application of the power, the change and the transformation that happens because of what Christ has done. You see, whenever you're in the courtroom in heaven, you're going to have a prosecuting attorney that's going to be telling all your business. But can I tell you, you got a great defense lawyer. You got a great defense lawyer, and he's a great advocate. The last thing I want us to see, and then we're going to pray and have a time of response, is that the Lord, he provides during the battle. He provides during the battle. Let's look at verses 13 through 17 together. It says, and when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. 
But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened his mouth and drank up the river, which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Let's just identify some very important things here. Number one, we, I submitted to you that the woman is Israel and that that's God's redemptive plan. So the devil, he is wanting to do war or have a war, have an aggressive hostility movement toward the woman, toward Israel. But then you see that it says that she, we get wings, wings that come of the great eagle, right? And when you study this, there are going to be people that tell you crazy stuff like that's talking about an airplane. That's a Boeing 747 right there. It's just going to come and scoop them all up, and they're going to go out into the wilderness. That's, that's one, one thing people say. Some people say, hey, he's going to take them to this great place in Jordan called Petra, and they're going to be this special city that it's a wall city. You can only go in one way and come out one way. And the way in which you go in is 12 feet wide. And it's this great city. Can I just say, it could be that that's the city. But can I just tell you what he is, what he is communicating to us here about these wings and about this eagle is very important. He is not talking necessarily about the United States because somebody say it's the eagle. You know what the United States is known for? That's the eagle. And we got to get in, in, in the Bible some kind of way. Okay. I believe what he's trying to say is he's going to provide protection. Look with me. In Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6. And this is going to let you know a couple things. Exodus 19, 4 through 6 says this. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings. So anybody read in that account whenever you were reading Exodus other day, a big eagle came down and got the folks. Did anybody read that? Did anybody read a Boeing 747 came and got the children of Israel? Did anybody read the United States of America was up in there helping to let my people go? And we was like, yeah, Star Spangled Banner up in there. Did anybody read that? Y'all didn't read that either. Okay. So it's a, he's using a strong symbol to talk about the provision and protection. He says, I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you, you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenants, then you shall, shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and holy. Holy, and that sound familiar me and anybody? These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So when he talks about these eagle's wings, he's not trying to make us make an airplane or trying to come. He's talking about how he's going to protect his people from the persecution that comes their way. He's going to protect him. You see, the Lord will make a way of provision and he's going to nourish. Did you catch it? This language, time, times, half a time. We already saw three and a half. Time is one, times two, and then the point five is the half a time. And so he's, he's affirming the promise. But then you saw this, this the, the, the dragon, he, what did he do? He poured out a water like a river, right? Don't let that throw you either, okay? Because in Jeremiah 47, 2, we know that many times in the Bible that armies are, are characterized as bodies of water that they take over, right? And so we see that the earth is going to help them. And it's not the first time you remember when Korah got to acting a fool, the earth split open and swaddled them up and took care of them. You remember when Pharaoh came after the children of Israel, you remember what happened? They came through on dry land. And what happened to, the, to, to Pharaoh and his posse? The water flooded and took care of them. So it's not uncommon for the Lord to use natural phenomenon to take care of his people. As a matter of fact, that's what he promises he, he would do. He promises that he's going to bring about their protection. But did you catch it? The dragon is going to be enraged and he's not going to stop. 
He's not going to stop for one second. You know, when I think about this idea of victory, we must understand that we are still in the battle today. You see, what I know is, is there are only two teams, only two, and you got to decide which one you're on. You see, our Lord, he has done all that he said he would do in coming in his promise and being able to make sure that he's in control of the scenario, but also to provide. But, the, but can I just ask you, the, the question is, is have you experienced what heaven is talking about, his salvation, his power, his authority, and his kingdom? See, that's the only way. You got to be willing to entrust your life to the Lord. See, this morning, the victory can only be found in Jesus. The question is, is have you entered? into a relationship with him. We're going to go into a time of prayer and reflection. I know it was a little bit technical this morning, but can I tell you, it's the Boogie Down Gospel, the redemptive story. And the question is, is how you've been willing to receive that, to live by it and to trust it. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Pray, God, as we go into this time of reflection and response that we would understand that, Lord, we are in a fight. Lord, it's a battle. And it is raging. And God, I pray as we go into this time of prayer, that Lord, if there's anyone here, they've never given their life to you. That Lord, they would surrender. They would come to you. They would follow you. And that Lord, they would submit. Your word says if we call out to you by faith, in faith, trusting you that you will draw us into a relationship with so, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here, they don't know you, Lord, that they would call out and they would say, Lord Jesus, save me. Change my life. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would see just how powerful you are, Lord. And we would never forget the line that says that the dragon and his angels, they waged war, but they were not strong enough. But they're not strong enough. And, Lord, that we would remember that no matter what comes in this life, no matter what comes in the, the, the trials and the tribulation, the difficulties, that, Lord, you're on the throne. You're working. That, Lord, the enemies that are in our lives, Lord, you will subdue them all and place them all under your feet. But give us the strength and the faith and the trust and the love as you go about that. Lord, as we go into this time of reflection. I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved. And that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God, that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one, believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior, he will save you. If you're listening to this service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during the time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service times. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continue the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com give.
I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time right here at Word Baptist Church.